Hey friends, if you wish you weren't hearing an ad right now, then straight after you listen to this episode, head over to watchnebula.com slash not overthinking with a little hyphen thing in between the not and the overthinking. So watchnebula.com slash not dash overthinking. Through Nebula, you'll firstly get access to all of our podcast episodes ad-free. Secondly, you'll see exclusive content from me and a load of other educational-ish creators. And thirdly, it directly supports this podcast. So you'll incentivize me and Tame to record more episodes. My name is Ali, I'm a doctor and YouTuber. I'm Taymor, I'm a data scientist and writer. And you're listening to Not Overthinking, the weekly podcast where we think about happiness, creativity, and the human condition. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Not Overthinking. This is very exciting. Taymor, how's it going? How are you doing today? It's actually going great. I've had a really good week this week, actually. And, and there's been a couple of things this week that I've been really proud of because I've actually implemented the stuff that we were talking about on this podcast a few weeks ago. And there's, uh, there's what, actually so paid someone 500 quid. Uh, not that particular thing, but I've implemented two, two, of, uh, our, two of our episodes. Uh, the first was that I was invited to a friend's wedding uh, and the wedding's actually in Malawi. It's, it's like next month in Malawi. Um, and initially I was thinking, oh man, I don't know if I like deserve a week off for no reason in July when I've just been traveling and so on. Um, and so in, in my, my initial thought was, no, I probably won't go. Like tickets to Malawi are kind of pricey. Uh, I also don't want to take a week off. And then I thought, actually, no, this would be a great opportunity for a low optionality holiday with like a bunch of random people who I don't know. Like I'll know, know my friend at the wedding, but I won't know any of the other people. Um, and so I, I did it in the end. And so I'm going to Malawi for a week next month because of oh. the uh, low social optionality theory. Uh, so so that, that was the first thing. And I was proud of like taking that courageous step. The second thing was that in our, in episode five, where we talked about measure, you remember, uh, yes. we I talked remember. about how, how it's a no brainer that people should invest in like sort of uh, communication and how they talk and stuff. And so actually this week I went to a thing called Toastmasters. Do you know what Toastmasters is? Yes, it's that it's that like public speaking workshop thing that people in America recommend. Yeah, so it's like uh, these sort of community organized public speaking kind of classes slash workshops. Um, there's basically like little Toastmasters clubs all around the world. There's like 16,000 in the world. There's like 300 just in London. Uh, so uh, a couple of friends and I, we went to one on Thursday uh, in London and it was really cool. Like there was maybe, yeah, 15 or 20 people there it's it's so well done like the organization was set up in like the 1930s so they've had like 80 years to iterate on like the format of this thing and it is, it is a well-oiled machine it's unbelievable basically they, the goal is to like ease people into public speaking um and so they have this sort of very fixed agenda for the meeting it's like two and a half hours um and they kind of give it as many people sort of roles as possible. So if it's like, you know, your first week there, then you'll sort of stand at the front and read the mission statement for like 15 seconds or something. And then the next level is like, maybe you'll be the person keeping track of the minutes and like announcing the time in between the speeches and stuff. And you'll sort of do these small roles and build build up all the way to doing like a, a seven to eight minute speech in front of everyone. Um, and And so they have this like really nice progression where everyone gets involved and it's like, yeah, just super supportive, really well done. Um, it was actually extremely cool. Wait, so were you keeping the minutes, or were you? No, no. So we uh, we were just guests. Or... We were just guests this week. But if if we join as members and start going properly, then we'll kind of work our way up the oh. up the gradient. Okay, and then uh, these like final speeches are these completely improv, or do you prepare like how? how uh, so so yeah, in each in each meeting they have like an improv bit where the the toastmaster uh, will call up 
you know, three people to give improv speeches on random topics that he says. So if if you are a member who's been going for a few weeks and you're sort of at that level where where you can do that, then you might get picked for that. And then every week there's also like three prepared speeches on random topics by various people. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, that's really cool. Um, I definitely want to chat about that more with you another time. But uh, getting down to the meat of it, what are we going to talk about today? All right. So here's something I've been thinking about recently. Um, a lot of a lot of sort of thought threads that have been going on in my mind in the past few months have all led back to a single place, which is that I think fundamentally what we're looking for in most things that involve other people. So any any yeah anything involving other people, we are fundamentally I think on this quest for authenticity, and we're we're looking for something real in other people. Um, oh. but, but here's the clincher. One thing I've realized, I've, I, I keep, yeah, whenever I think about this, I, I keep thinking back to the fact that it's actually really hard to keep it real. Like find, finding this sort of authenticity in our lives is really, really hard. And it's really special when we do find it. So, um, this sounds super abstract, of course, but I, I think this links into like into, into lots of different things. Um, so first of all, you know, I'm I'm a big fan of sort of kids. I like I like little kids. Sort of <laughs> You're a big fan yeah, of kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I, I really like little kids, and I think I think a lot of a big part of why lots of people find young kids endearing is that they keep it real. Like until probably the age of sort of seven or eight, kids don't really have the the social intelligence to not keep it real. Like they don't really have any choice but to sort of be authentic. Um, mm. And so like when you're talking to a kid who's like less than seven years old, say, it's really nice because there's the, the, there's no games going on. They're not doing any signaling or anything. It's it's just really nice because you're sort of speaking directly with with their mind almost. Um, there, there are of course a few things where even little kids start to play games. You know, You know how like sometimes kids will fall over and then look around to see if anyone's watching and if someone's watching then they'll stop crying or something you know classic plea for attention yeah so there's stuff like that but i think for the most part like until the age about seven or eight kids aren't really aware of the social subtext that underlies everything that that we do and so i think kids are really endearing until that age because they keep it real and then after that age i think from like seven to maybe seven to 14 or something kids become really annoying and they become really annoying because they start to get aware of the social subtext and they start to understand how to play signaling games. But from like the ages of seven to 14, they're so bad at it that it's it's just really, really obvious. And so like, I don't know, I've had lots of interactions with sort of young, uh, yeah, eight to 14 year olds where I know they're just trying to like brag all the time and they think they're being like really <laughs> subtle about it or... Yeah, just they start to play lots of signaling games. They're very bad at it, um, but they still think that's like a good thing to do. So I think, yeah, one thing that points to the value of authenticity is that I think because, you know, kids are very endearing until the point where they stop being authentic. Now, another thing is, I think like, I think part of why we like things like comedy, and I think part of why it's so satisfying to make someone laugh is because in that moment, they are being completely real. It's it's like an involuntary reaction, right? Like you can't, yeah, you, you can't really fake that. I mean, maybe you can fake laugh, but yeah, I think part of why 
we really enjoy making other people laugh or even just like watching people laugh is that it's like truly authentic. You know, they can't really control their face when they're doing it. They can't really control what's going on. It's like, mm. it's it's a rare moment when you're truly sort of seeing someone in a, in a real way. Um, and I've, yeah, I th so I think there's like, I think that, yeah, it's, it's surprisingly hard to find these moments. And that's why these moments feel really special. And I think a big part of charisma and like what draws us to other people and what draws other people to us, I think is this idea of like keeping it real and being, being authentic. We sort of, we sort of like it when people are being themselves and we don't like it when people are, you know, being fake or whatever. Um, but I, I was, I was sort of looking back on the sort of a lot of the social interactions I've had. And I think there's actually alarmingly few of them in which I've actually been truly keeping it real. Um, I, okay, what do you mean by that? So, I, you know, I've I've met a few people, a few sort of new people in the past month or whatever, and I think in a lot of these interactions, when I'm sort of meeting them, I think a lot of it is just sort of me responding to what they're saying in a particular way. Like, I don't think I, I think. Yeah, for a while, I don't really reveal anything or do anything or say anything that would sort of uniquely be something that I would do or say, you know, it's more sort of responding appropriately to the things that they're saying. Um, and and like, so, so I suppose uh, responding in a way that a reasonably polite person in our culture might respond to the specific thing that they say yeah so nothing exactly. specifically unique to you yeah or like you know if if anyone were to take your position they would probably be running the same script yeah yeah exactly um and yeah i think the the kind of interactions i've had where i felt really good about them afterwards and i think like where you sort of click or connect with someone you have chemistry or whatever i think those are the interactions where for whatever reason, you can both just keep it real from the start. You can be like authentic with each other from the start. Um, okay, hang on. Let's try and define this thing of authenticity because I th because you're saying a lot of seemingly obvious things. Because wow, the thing about oh, I'm sorry. Uh, the thing about kids being authentic is is like a pretty standard part of the whole. This is why kids are kids are endearing because because they keep it real. It's a, it's a sort of thing you'd read on like a life hacker article or, or something like that. So what do you what do you mean by authentic? Okay, by I'll tell you what I don't mean by authentic. I don't mean that like you have to be exactly the same person in like every in, in different contexts. I think that that's sort of one one thing that some people say where it's like uh yeah, if it comes back to some of the stuff we've been talking about in previous weeks about like if you want to change yourself or get better, you know, being funny or whatever then it's like not being yourself it's somehow like disingenuous I, I, i'm not talking about anything like that i think for me the authenticity comes down to i think it basically just comes down to signaling i think i think it's fair to say you're probably most authentic with say your very closest friends or close family members um and i think what makes those relationships different to other ones is that there's actually no desire or need or pressure to signal anything um, like I don't need to signal stuff to you when I'm hanging out with my best mates, you know, none, we don't need to signal stuff to each other. I think, I think it comes down to signaling. Um, okay. Um, to what extent, so like we're, when you were talking about authenticity, there was another phrase that was going through my mind and that was vulnerability to, to what extent do you think this authenticity is 
or, or rather, to, what's what in your mind is the relationship between vulnerability and authenticity? Because I feel like that should become part of the equation some in some way or another. Yeah, that's a good point. And usually, when it comes to things like vulnerability, the the subtext that it portrays is that, in a way, that you're being authentic, you're being a real self, you're showing your flaws rather than trying to cover them up, which is what you would be doing in standard polite conversation. And supposedly, vulnerability is quite endearing to people. But the, I mean, the, it feels like it feels very linked to the signaling thing because co- trying to like cover up your vulnerabilities, you, you do that because you want to signal certain things that so like you know I'm strong or powerful or whatever, right? That's that's the reason why you want to sort of cover up mm. the vulnerabilities. Um, yeah, I, I feel like signaling is. I, I I get what you're saying about vulnerability, but like it's just a kind of a subset of signaling. Uh, yeah, it's sort of a a result of not wanting to signal. Okay, and then so, and then if we if we were to define signaling in a way that doesn't assume people know what, what you're talking about, yeah, okay, give me a sec. So, so my idea of signaling is having having an ulterior motive almost, and wanting others to see you in a particular light, which is partly which partly motivates the things that you say and the things that you do. Yeah, I think I think that's pretty much in line with with how i think about it um and it, look it goes back to like the friends and family thing like when you're hanging out with people you know really really well you don't you know nothing not, no particular thing you say or do is really going to change their image of you and like you don't really care about changing their image of you you don't care about impressing them and, and so on and so I, I i that that yeah that's sort of the basic definition by which i'm i'm playing to i think okay right so we've talked a little bit about this this new theory of yours uh, that um the only thing really that people really want in their <laughs> interactions with others is, is some semblance of authenticity so what's uh if if we assume that this is true where where does it take us next okay so i i think there are okay yeah yeah, yeah. so the, the the thing that started me thinking about all of this was a few weeks ago i had some like meeting with some investor um, and I was a bit anxious, like going into the meeting and I was thinking about like, you know, why, why am I anxious? Why am I like feeling this way, um, about this meeting, you know? Um, and I think what it basically came down to was the fact that I felt like there was a way of behaving that I was supposed to do. Like, I felt like there was some way that these kinds of meetings are supposed to be, and I wasn't sure what that was. And so I was anxious about like fitting that supposed to. And then, mm. I, and then that got me thinking that like, actually pretty much all the situations in which I've ever been sort of anxious about something have been because there's this sort of invisible supposed to of how, how something's meant to go or how you're meant to behave or act that, that like I don't quite know and so I feel anxious about like fitting that correctly. And so, that, and then I thought that actually, you know, if, if I could somehow like just force myself to keep it real in, in, in all these like interactions or in all these sort of different parts of my life, then there's actually nothing to worry about. Like there's nothing to be anxious about. If you, if, if you're just playing by keeping it real rather than trying to fit the requirements of this supposed to ness then there's nothing okay to yeah out. yeah that makes sense um so that reminds me of 
for example, I, I don't know when it was. Was it episode two when we discussed about networking events? Yeah. That was that a social was, optionality yeah. episode about why a lot of people say that they don't like parties. And I suspect a big part of that is because you have an image of in your head of what you know a party should be like and how you should feel and how you should be interacting at a party. And I suspect actually the majority of people in the world would sympathize with the statement of, I feel anxious going to parties with people that I don't know because there's this image of, we should be behaving a certain way. We should be feeling a certain way. And so when we are, when we perceive ourselves as being the only ones that are a little bit uncomfortable, kind of on the sidelines of a group, despite, you know, that, that everyone else probably has that experience as well. We treat that as, as a sense of anxiety. And I remember whenever I've kind of been real with my friends and talking about parties, I've been so surprised when I found out that other people also don't like big parties and stuff. I'm like, oh my God, I thought I was the only one. And that's that was like a real kind of authentic being real moment with them. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think it's exactly like that. And like, I think I was trying to sort of think about all the other facets of life where it feels like you're supposed to behave in a certain way, but you don't quite know what it is. And that kind of leads to sort of anxiety or discomfort or whatever. And so I was thinking that like until about the age of 14, I, I think you might agree with me on this because we've grown up in a similar sort of context. Until about the age of 14, I was, I was under the impression that talking to adults was like a fundamentally different thing from talking to kids. I thought like when you're talking to adults, you're supposed to like behave in a different way. And I, I really, I wasn't, I didn't know what that was. I didn't know like what's appropriate when talking to adults. And so I think until about the age of 14, I probably never initiated a conversation with an adult unless there was some like obvious official business. However, when I was like seven and under, I probably would have just because like I, I was completely unaware of all of this stuff. I would just been like, you know, oh, what's, uh, what's that on your shirt or whatever? You know, <laughs> just, uh, <laughs> yeah, how yeah, kids are, right? Um, did, did you have that? Yeah, I think the, there's one specific example of a, of a conversation I had with some random adult. I think I was like nine or maybe 10. And it was when we were living in Devizes and some, some random dude came over. It's like very, very, very distant. Like, you know, uh, our grandma's friends in Southend's like distant relatives to, you know, that we didn't, didn't even know that well. And I just kind of sat, sat next to this old man who... Um, I don't. I have no idea what he did, but I just. I just started chatting, and I was. I was talking about, for example, like you know, the first house we moved into in England, and how we had the, that dispute with the landlord, and like my mum commented, or rather, <laughs> Mimi commented afterwards that uh, she was. She was. She was really surprised, and the guy was really surprised that oh my god, this is a really confident kid, and and apparently he really enjoyed that conversation where I was telling him about the ins and outs of a landlord's. Trip. <laughs> but that's. <Wow. laughs> that's the. That's a, the sort of conversation I've almost. I. I almost would have never had with an adult um at at that age but it's one that that sticks out in my mind as being particularly enjoyable yeah i think yeah the, the adults thing i mean why did you do that by the way do you remember what no i just I, I i can't quite remember the context i can remember doing it but i don't know i guess something about him made me feel feel comfortable i guess <laughs> right to just <laughs> um but so on 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 this point that you mentioned about uh what is it you said you said when when we're kids we just kind of go you'd you'd just kind of go up to an adult and be like hey uh what's what's that on your shirt yeah, or, yeah whatever you know whatever uh this is sort of a conversational hack it reminds me of because i'm a big fan big fan of all these hacks and that is that when we are our most authentic selves and with our friends we tend not to talk in questions we tend to talk in statements 
So like I would almost never ask you, so Tamo, how's how's it going? Or you know stuff like that. It, we, we'd be sitting in the car and we'd be making statements at each other and just kind of bouncing. Yeah, 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 yeah. And there are very, very few questions if you analyze the interactions between friends. Yeah. And so one thing that I started doing, as soon as I came across this, I was like, oh, sick. Okay, cool. And then when I was at work or something, or, or rather at school or at, at uni, and I'd have, I'd have a thought come to my head, I would default to not saying it because it's not the kind of context where I would, I would just share my thoughts randomly. But then I'd be like, no, I need to just say whatever comes to my mind. As long as it's not completely inappropriate, I'm just going to make the statement and throw it out there. And do it in a way that just, you know, I'm just making a statement as if I'm talking to someone that I'm very familiar with. What kind and of, I what found kind that that worked really well. Oh, you know, just like, all, like almost anything that would come to mind. So for, so for, so for example, at, at work today, I was sitting next to someone that I didn't know too well. And, you know, um, I don't know, just if, if something came up, I would just be like, oh, right. Yeah. So I've just had a patient who blah, 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 blah. And just... And, and just start talking as if, you know, assuming familiarity with them. Yeah, and then yeah. they would kind of hop on on that assuming familiarity thing as well. And we'd end up having a nice little interaction, even though we've never spoken before, just based off just a statement. And there's no, oh, so what's your name? You know, like the the people that I'm having these chats with, I almost never know what their names actually are, unless they're in my year group or whatever. But I found that to be a really good way of kind of connecting with people, just, just, just making a random statement. Yeah, that's really cool. I, yeah, I think part of that is like, yeah, it's sort of keeping it real, right? Because when when you meet someone new for the first time or whatever, if, it feels like there's things you're supposed to say, like introduce yourself and go through all the the rigmarole yeah. of that of that thing. The script. This the, yeah, the the sort of uh meeting a new person script. But you're sort of breaking from that, keeping it real, just sort of letting them enter sharing your train of thought with them and like letting them be a part of like your your train of thought. Um, yeah, that's that's a good way of putting it. Sharing sharing the train of thought, and actually, so one thing you said now is just is breaking away from the script. And this is something that I've been thinking about, like in in, in the last two weeks as well. Uh, the reason I was thinking about this is because we had a teaching session a couple of weeks ago where we were doing lumbar punctures, which is where you stick a needle into the spinal cord, sort of, and and take some fluid out. And uh, the clinical skills tutor asked for someone to volunteer, and obviously I volunteered because I make a point of volunteering for these things. And you know, it was I was I was I was trying to be a bit funny. I was trying to play the crowd a bit. And um, I was lying on this examination couch, and she was like, she 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 was pretending to be the doctor. She was like, oh, so uh, uh, hi there, um, Mr. Abdal. Would you mind if I call you Ali? And I was like, and I would just kind of I just kind of went over. I was like, yeah, that's fine. That's that's no problem at all. But then I thought that afterwards, I kind of wish. I said, actually, I prefer Dr. Abdal. That would have been really <laughs> funny. That would have absolutely killed. And that would have been a, a complete pattern interrupt. Yeah. And everyone w- would have therefore laughed because it's just, it's it's not what people are expecting. Yeah. And this is a concept that uh, hypnotists actually use. It's part of hypnosis inductions, whereby, for example, you've probably seen in, in like Darren Brown shows or in state street hypnotism, you would go to shake someone's hand. And then as they're about to shake yours, you would grab it with your other hand and then put your hand over their over their like forehead and say sleep or something like that. And supposedly the theory behind these, quote, rapid inductions is that when when there's this pattern interrupt, people like don't know what to do because the idea is that the brain, the brain is a predictive organ. It, it's it's trying to predict what's happening next to, you know, efficiently make use of all the data around you. And so anytime something happens that's not in line with that prediction, there's this moment of, in a way, authenticity where you are, where you become your true unexposed self. Yeah. And at that point, you become hyper-suggestible, supposedly, and susceptible to suggestions like sleep. And... 
that kind of this this episode with this teaching thing got me thinking that perhaps this whole thing about connecting with people is about pattern interrupting and breaking away from the script of what what they predict you're going to be saying yeah yeah that's exactly it i think like yeah i i think like like you said where in that sort of medical role-playing thing that you that you did that uh yeah you know yeah ali's absolutely fine or whatever that's a kind of it's it's basically a canned phrase right there's like yeah it's it's a canned phrase and i think an alarming amount of our sort of interactions with other people are essentially through canned phrases. So last week I was uh, I was in San Francisco and I was meet, sort of meeting various people. I met a bunch of new people through friends and so on. Um, and so I met maybe like five or six new people. Um, and, I, and so I, I was like paying, uh, yeah, of course, I was like paying attention to like, how do I feel about this person even though I've just like met them and so on. Um, and yeah, there was, there was one person, one of the girls I met, uh, she was like very, oh, yeah, she, she was very polished. Um, and, and one, one of the other sort of guys also sort of remarked on this and we kind of, we were kind of talking about this over dessert, actually. They're like every, everything she does is like extremely polished. Like, uh, she'd sort of, yeah, when, when talk to you, she'd sort of like have a lot of sort of emotion in her voice and she'd like make the, make like an appropriate facial expression when talking to you and so on. Mm-hmm. And like. Uh, it's 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 hard do you understand what i mean by very polished yes i know exactly what you mean um anytime i i come across that i always feel a little bit uneasy um i yeah yeah like if someone is very very sort of exaggeratedly like almost exaggeratedly enthusiastic about about something that i'm saying or asking the right question in like what's traditionally perceived to be like oh my god you know Please tell me more about that. Yeah, rather yeah, like the right intonation the, the, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, like almost rather than the kind of authentic tone that would be like, oh, cool, you know, I, I, it's just like how how you and I would talk, for example. Yeah, it wouldn't yeah. be like, oh, it it wouldn't be as as exaggerated. Yeah, and so like she was just like she was just super. Like, everything she did was super polished, um, and we we were kind of discussing this over dessert. I think part part of the reason why that might have been was that she was like very new to the group. She'd sort of just met everyone as well. And so she didn't really know everyone that well. And so maybe that's it. Um, but I think, I, I suppose some people are just like that. But then then that sort of got us talking about like, how do you, how do you sort of know when someone's being real? And I think when so, when someone's really polished, it's it's hard to tell whether the polish is just like them interacting with you through this veneer of politeness and civility and well-manneredness um where, where they're sort of interacting with you sort of through canned phrases and stuff um you know like maybe you'll say oh yeah i saw this really good movie or something and they'll and and then they'll like ask some like classic questions about the movie and say ah oh, i'll add that to my list and like you know be like sort of enthusiastic that kind of it's it's sort of canned canned interactions you know? so it i think when when someone is really polished like that it's hard to know Okay, is this? Are they just like you know? Did they did they just go to finishing school, or are they interacting with me through this veneer of uh, of politeness right now? And um, something that someone else mentioned during this discussion was that he really likes it when someone new he meets expresses like a strong negative emotion for something because i think in like polite society you're not you're not supposed to be negative you're supposed your default is supposed to be positive and so generally whenever you're talking about anything um yeah people are going to be generally positive about it. Oh, that, that film was like okay or whatever or like yeah it was fine um 
or, you know, more positive than that. But it's very rare that someone's like, oh man, I, I hate this thing. Or, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And so, absolutely horrendous. Yeah. So we were talking about how there's, if you're looking for signal of authenticity or like signal for keeping it real, if someone is strongly negative about something, it, it can't, it like feels a lot more real. It probably is a lot more real. And actually, the, the guy who mentioned this, I, I know him quite well from my time out there last year. And one of the things that sort of struck me about him right from the start was that he'd often go off on these like rants about random little things that he'd hate. <laughs> like, oh my God, I hate, <laughs> I hate the, uh, the plastic straws, you know, <laughs> they're so hard to <laughs> have to drink from and like, you know, um, just, he'd be just like have lots of random little things that apparently really annoyed him. And he'd like go on these rants. And I really liked that because from, from the start, that seemed really authentic. It felt like. It, it felt like this, this was actually real. I was seeing his his sort of authentic self. And actually, I think that that could also be interpreted as like, oh, he's just a negative guy or whatever. But I like, I really appreciated that about him. Oh, that's interesting. So that kind of goes in line with, uh, th there are lots of studies that show supposedly that people bond more over negativity than over positivity. Like it's it's much easier to make a friend at work through a mutual hatred of a colleague rather than through anything specific that you have in common and so perhaps that is some sort of reference to how these negative emotions makes feel that oh i'm seeing i'm seeing this side of someone that they wouldn't normally display to, to society yeah exactly and yeah i often in sort of in the process of meeting sort of a few of these new people i often found myself responding in in terms of like canned phrases and stuff i don't know why so what do you mean by canned phrase? What's, what, what's like a standard canned phrase that you would, you would use? What's a standard canned phrase that I'd use? Okay, so I'll give you an example of, of, of canned phrases. So there's a, a very a good book called uh, Charisma on Command, which is now a YouTube channel that does, that does very well. Uh, I read this back in like, I think it was, it was either in first year or in, in like the, uh, the final year of sixth form. And this is a pattern that, that's mentioned in lots of books about um, public speaking slash charisma, which is that you want to break away from the canned responses when it comes to standard questions. So for example, when someone asks, how are you? Uh, the canned response is, yeah, not bad you, or something equivalent. Whereas breaking away from that is something like, oh, absolutely freaking fantastic. And that, you know, just automatically pattern interrupts people and they're like, oh, okay, uh, that, that's, that's kind of interesting. That's kind of cool. Or I suppose kind of going on your thing, if you were like so negative about it in like a funny way, that would also be be interesting and there and in these books the the best the the kind of practical advice is that you should almost re-script your answers to questions like what do you do and where are you from such that they create enough hooks for other people to latch onto because what do you do like no one really cares oh i'm a management consultant and i work 85 hours a week because that just is quite boring and one example he says in the book is, oh, you know, uh, I work in an office during the daytime, but what I really love to do is, is, is play the guitar and I'm hoping one day to be a whatever. And just as a kind of, quote, lame example, it shows that, you know, changing up the answers to these questions to what we think people want to hear to what is more in line with our own interests and what they can then ask questions about is a very easy, hacky way of, of becoming more charismatic. Yeah, those are really nice hacks. I think, in, yeah, in, in general, just like yeah, like you said, breaking breaking the script and all of these things uh, is just way better. But the thing I... Clearly, everyone appreciates 
authenticity and everyone appreciates it when other people are being real and everyone enjoy prefers being real themselves than sort of interacting through this veneer of politeness and can phrases and so on so it's 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 a win-win to keep it real however it's it's really hard to keep it real why is it so hard it's so hard that when when people are keeping it real and when when you do on the rare occasion see someone you know really see someone it's an amazing moment why is why is the default not keeping it real that's what i want to know okay i'm not quite sure what you mean here by by keeping it real so uh, uh, by keeping it real are you simply saying not trying to signal something because i mean i've had a lot of conversations at work these past like two weeks and just kind of th- thinking back to the majority of them like they were pretty real like you know if i some some uh emergency medicine uh, trainee sits next to me on the sofa in the mess be like yo liam why'd you go for e- for emergency medicine rather than anesthetics and you know he, he he's, he's kept it real he's he, he, he answers the question reasonably kind of have a have a bit of a chat about that like i struggle to appreciate this this concept that people are not keeping it real the majority of the time ah interesting okay what kind of context do you think you don't keep it real? It sounds like you're at work, you're sort of pretty chill. One context where I definitely don't keep it real is if I am, for example, talking to a consultant that I don't know very well. And then I'm definitely trying to signal. Really? <laughs> because the standard because the standard script of those conversations is that you know, I'm I'm the junior working with the consultant. There's just two of us on the ward round. We're gonna be spending the next three hours together. There's gonna to be the same questions that come up. So, you know, let's say we're walking down the 800 meters stretch of corridor in silence you know at, at some point they're going to ask so uh wh- where are you going next year for placement <laughs> and then you'll be like oh i'm going to this hospital and i've got these placements and they're like oh, okay cool have you thought about what you want to do next and i was like yeah i was thinking about this and th-. it's just a very standard scripted conversation um but now like today i was having that i was having that chat with uh, mr hardwick our, our consultant and i was deliberately trying to go off script and you know trying to mine him for advice in the same way that I would anyone else be able to be, be like, oh, Mr. Hardwick, have you got any mates who are into anesthetics? And he was like, oh, well, yes, I suppose I do. You know, there's quite a lot of consultants here who are, who are into anesthetics. Um, and, then I, and then I asked if they if they seem to enjoy their lives and seem to enjoy their jobs. And he seemed to really come out of his shell a bit more. Wait, <laughs> in, what? In that, that seems like a really standard question. What was so like unusual and authentic about that question and answer? It's not, it's not very standard. Oh. Like, do to you- ask a... It's not standard to ask your consultant if they've got mates in in other specialties. Oh right, like uh, it's it's just it's it's more. Uh, I mean, it's not that not standard. Uh, it's just it's not the sort. It's it's just not a, a default conversation okay, that you would have. Fair. Okay, yeah, but he's he 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 seemed to appreciate having having his opinion mind on that front. And I was try I was trying my best to talk to him as if he was not a a consultant because that's a big part of medicine that I really don't like the whole hierarchical nature of it. Yeah, I'm trying to think about why why I feel like the default is actually not keeping it real. Um, I feel like in something like, for example, a networking event, the default would be not keeping it real. But then I've also not been to that many networking events. So maybe it's easy for us to stereotype, oh, the sorts of people that go to networking events are the sorts, the sorts of people that want to signal about A, B, C, D, and E. Whereas I feel like, you know, in most in most interactions I have at work and in, in real life, I'm kind of keep, keeping it real most of the time. What about in interactions where, you know, like buying a coffee from a cafe or something it's like do you sort of do that on autopilot with canned phrases and responses or do you do you feel like you're sort of 
seeing the other person truly and uh i i do it on I do it on autopilot for the most part, but every time I do, while I'm sitting there waiting for the coffee, I kind of, I, I think in my head, oh, damn, I wish I'd gone off script for that. <laughs> yeah. There was a, there, uh, there was a moment at work actually today. So um, there's a switchboard at the hospital. So if you dial the number 100, you get through to the main hospital switchboard. And then the idea is that you'll ask them to put you through to someone and um, whatever, they then put you through to that person. So the standard way of introducing yourself in a conversation, which is a new initiative, well, it's not that new, is like, is hello, my name is, it's like what's written on everyone's lanyards because there was this big campaign um, that was led by some patient or someone about this idea that doctors and, and nurses and healthcare professionals will go in to go to see a patient and just not really get around to introducing, yourself, introducing themselves where it's actually such a big part of it. Anyway, that's kind of the context of this. Uh, so the so for example, I, I would call up Switchboard and be like, hi, my name's Ali, I'm the upper GI surgical F1. And then I'd take a breath. Could I please speak to the respiratory registrar on call? Right. And then today, um, I, I made a point to have more of a gap in that. Be like, I'd be like, hi, my name's Ali, I'm the upper GI F1. <laughs> and then and then wait wait for them to say something. And every single time they broke the silence with like, oh, hi, Ali, or, or, or something like that. And one of them was even like, uh, uh, one of them was even like, hey, Ali, how's it going? And I was like, oh, it's going great. Thanks for asking. How are you? And we, and we had this seeming, the, <laughs> what felt real in that context, where I mean, like, hello, how's it going? And fine, thanks, you. It's not that real in most most cases in life, but it goes completely off script when, you, when you're calling up Switchboard. That's awesome. That's so cool. I love yeah. it. <laughs> and, that, and, that, and that made me feel really good inside. So... Look, I feel like I was onto something profound here, and I feel like that. I feel like you were on the verge of something profound, but the fact that I've said that actually people are real most of the time. Yeah, um, that's kind of thrown it. Breaks, but yeah, no, no, no. Okay, through, basically, through I, I, st- I don't believe people are real most of the time. However, I don't, I haven't figured out why I think that, or like the right way to articulate that. However, I'm reading, I, I sort of started reading a very interesting book last week, which I'd like to make some more headway into. It's called What You Say After You Say Hello or something. Have you heard of, have you heard of this Ooh, book? No, I haven't, but this sounds interesting. I think it's written by some psychiatrist or psychotherapist or something. Um, and and it was, it, I'm only like, you know, 10% of the way through. And at the start it was saying, yeah, I think it's called What You Say After You Say Hello. And in the start, it was talking about uh, something like, yeah, how like when we when we sort of interact with someone else, uh, for the most part, we're kind of, you know, our minds are sort of muddied up with like our own random thoughts and feelings and like, uh, look, I can't articulate this. Okay, perhaps in a, in a future episode of the podcast when you've made more headway with this I'll, book. I'll make more headway. You'll be able book. to articulate. Yeah. Um. Okay, so let's do the the classic thing that you're taught in, in medical school in communication skills, which is when you're not sure what to say, you just summarize and screen. So to summarize what we've talked about, it sounded like <laughs> we talked a little bit about this idea of authenticity or authenticity being the thing that we are craving and also in all, in all of our social interactions. And yet kind of un- the the under thread of this is why does it feel so novel when we do get authenticity given that we all crave it and that we're it's it's in all of our best interests to be our fully authentic selves and we talked a little bit about a little bit about signaling and how in most supposedly in uh, what what you're saying is that in most realms of life there is some element of signaling to people that you're talking to uh, especially when it comes to kids between the ages of seven and 14 well, no, no, i just although i don't know i, want I was stop- definitely signaling a lot more a, a lot b- before the age of seven 
I want to stop you. I think I think there's two yes. things that kind of stop stop people from keeping it real. I think the first is definitely signaling, and that's a big one about like wanting mm. to come across a certain way. I think the other one is the thing I was saying about this idea that you're supposed to behave in a certain way. You know, so for example, you know, in an investor meeting, you're supposed to like do I don't know, God knows what, or like yeah. <laughs> when, when you're on a date with someone, you're supposed to like do you know, yeah, no, that's whatever. True. Yeah. So I think it's like these supposed tos that are quite pervasive and you know when i was younger i i thought when you're talking to adults you're supposed to i don't know do something but i wasn't sure what and so i think the supposed to is just as big a thing as the signaling thing okay yeah yeah that makes sense i can i can get on board with that i think that yeah i think that's a big part of why we feel inauthentic or why we feel others are inauthentic um and it's all i I suppose the main thing we've come to is that it's it's all about going it's all about pattern interrupting, breaking away from the script of what you're supposed to do, what the other person just naturally just subconsciously predicts that you're going to say. And those are when we get our true kind of, it, it comes a little bit closer to being real. And I quite liked your point about ex- expressing very strong negative emotions, almost like a David Mitchell rant, just about something completely random might be a, an, in, an interesting tactic to try. I don't like your hack approach to this. I think... It's still not keeping it real. Okay, it might be... Like, the hack of, like, having a different set of canned phrases that break the script, you know. I don't think that's keeping it real. Okay, fine. Um, I would would agree with that. I'm not saying the hacks are everything. What I'm saying is that the hacks are a very useful, practical way to um, dip your toes into the ideal of keeping it real at all times. Because ideally, if we were all keeping it real at all times, there would be some element of... Oh, and and this was something else I wanted to I wanted to bring up. You know this this like radical honesty movement, yeah, where you just say every single thing that comes into your head without a filter at all. That is keeping it real taken to the extreme. And yet, anyone who's tried this and written about it says that it's a it's not it's not a nice experience to to go through because society functions because of some level of the veneer of politeness. Like you know, if you see a very fat person, you wouldn't just comment, "Wow, I think you're really fat," for example. Um, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm, I'm, yeah, so. No, sure. So, you know, your thing of keeping it real, I think, needs more definition because, like, where when does keeping it real become this idea of radical honesty where you're just being a dick? And when does keeping it real being like become uh, so clearly, you know, creating different canned responses to your <laughs> canned responses is not quite keeping it real, but it comes one step closer to keeping it real to the point where you get comfortable with quote being your authentic self. Although, again, I'm I. I take slight issue with the fact that we haven't quite defined this properly because, yeah, how, what, what does it mean to be an authentic self? Do you mean you just say whatever comes to your mind? And so partly the reason why I think these hacks are good is because even if we don't actually achieve that internal state of being our authentic selves, we can give other people the experience that we are being our authentic selves and they will come away from that interaction thinking, you know, feeling feeling value, f- f- feeling like their day is a little bit better because they've had an authentic interaction. And the nice thing about the hacks is that this is an easy way of going about about doing that. And over time, yeah, you become more authentic and you start incorporating these into your life. But but even then, like, you know, just the very fact that you have identified that this the, this thing of people bond more with, through negative emotions and then are more likely to bias your own 
conversations towards negative emotions means that you aren't keeping it real. You know, the fact, the very fact that we're having this conversation and overthinking about these social interactions a bit certainly means that in the interactions that you and I are having, we're not keeping it real because we have this script, we, we have this analysis running through our heads about, oh, okay, I wonder how this relates with podcast episode number seven. Like, where does this keeping it a real thing actually, like, it's it seems like such a an undefined phrase to the point where it's almost useless. Yeah, it's it's a really nebulous concept. I totally agree. I think one so what, one other sphere in which I'm finding it hard to keep it real, or even know when I am keeping it real these days, is Twitter. Um, because every time I think of, and I think I tweeted about this about a week ago or something. Every time I have some thought which I think is interesting or insightful or whatever, and I think about tweeting like, it, then I think, hmm, why do I want to tweet this? <laughs> am I trying? Am I trying to sound smart on Twitter, or am I just? Am I keeping it real and sort of just thinking in public, thinking out loud, kind of thing, you know? And so when when I think of something sort of smart or what, something I think is smart or interesting or insightful, I start to think about that, and then I think. Oh man, I, I I definitely don't want to try be trying to sound smart on Twitter. You know that uh, I I don't want to do that. <laughs> but then I think, okay, the the other random things that pop into my head are like <laughs> like today I was listening to Despacito for the first time in about a year, and I was thinking, man, this is really good. And I thought, oh man, maybe I should tweet that. Wow, Despacito is actually still a tune. You know, <laughs> and then <laughs> that'd be a pretty good tweet. <laughs> and then I thought. That, that's not that's not interesting no one cares about this so like you've got to draw the line somewhere right <laughs> and so yeah i think <sighs> i think twitter is interesting because it's it's naturally performative i think the only real circumstance in which you can truly be real is in a private journal that you know no one else is going to read because that is when you're really keeping it real but the very fact that you're putting your thoughts online like you and I aren't really keeping it real in any, any, of, any of our podcast episodes because there's probably stuff that we're thinking or doing that is not politically correct that we don't want to share with the, with the wider world. Whereas if you and I were just having a conversation in the car where no one else was listening, we'd be keeping it more real. Oh, Equally, yeah. the sorts of things, the, the sorts of things I, w- I would write in my journal, maybe I wouldn't even say to you, actually, I, I probably would because I don't, I don't have that many secrets. But, you know, anytime something comes out into the world, especially to people that we don't know extremely well, when we're we're by definition not gonna you know just we aren't gonna keeping be keeping it real. So I don't think I th- I think when people said uh, so you sent me this Twitter account I don't know who it was we'll link it in the show notes and you were like oh man this person's amazing because they keep it real and have an authentic insight at the same time or, or something along those lines, but that person probably crafts their whole persona to make it seem as if they are keeping it real. And therefore, again, this idea of keeping it real becomes a nebulous concept that doesn't Yeah, it really needs a definition because, yeah, there's definitely like different ways of keeping it real and different levels of keeping it real that are appropriate in different contexts. Mm. But I think there's... And so, when it comes to, and so when it comes to things like keeping it real that have no definitions that we know of so far, then maybe the way forward is to think about the, um, the what's it called the the phenotype uh the the way that the trait is expressed so things like vulnerability uh things like pattern interrupts things like expressing strong negative emotions you would count all of these as quote hacks and therefore look down on them but i would say that actually this is this is the manifestation of this underlying genotype of keeping it real that we just we we we, we can't see into anyway that sounded profound i think yeah i don't know i Look, I don't like the ha- what I'm trying. What I'm trying to get at here, Ali, 
is a very <laughs> deep and pro- <laughs> <table. laughs> deep and profound concept of truly seeing another human being and you're okay you're painting over it with your <laughs> with your hacks <laughs> all right and i don't like that okay well maybe if you were to define your concept of seeing another human being in less nebulous terms i wouldn't need to paint over it with my hacks to try and give this conversation any substance at all <laughs> all right look that's that's not unreasonable um i will uh, I'll, I'll definitely try and do that okay i, I feel like, I feel like th- we, this book we, will help we, 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 we've talked for a, a very long time let's uh ex- let's uh solicit feedback and advice from our, our listeners as usual please send us an email to hi at notoverthinking.com if you have any thoughts about what it means to keep it real um, I think we, we've we been saying this all along, but I, I think at this point, we definitely should uh, discuss some of the responses that we get in, in the next in the next podcast, because I don't know, I don't, I don't have a definition of keeping it real, neither do you, clearly. Uh, you've made that abundantly clear in this episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it'll be really good to get someone more intelligent and uh, who thinks about this more, maybe to uh, drop us a line and, and give us some thoughts. Yeah, I think I think that's, yeah. I think that's reasonable. We'll uh, draw <laughs> draw the conversation to a close. And I suppose ending with the hacks, we've talked about things like vulnerability, things like breaking the pattern, perhaps even creating new kind of responses to questions like how are you and what do you do and where are you from and stuff like that. Uh, do you have a, an interesting insight of the week to share? Do I have an interesting insight of the week? Why don't you go first? So I've got I've got a I've got a funny thing this week that sort of ties in what you said I think maybe it was two episodes ago about things that are such niche jokes that they become like ten times funnier just because they're so niche. Oh. Um, and there's one that's just had me cracking up all uh, all like all, almost every day for the last two weeks. So um, there is a junior doctor that I work with who has also read a little bit and seen some like youtube videos about about stuff like how to talk to people how, how how to make a girl like you how to get girls and you know that general sphere of stuff that you know uh teenage boys tend to search when they're when they're in their in, the, in their teens another legend or early right. 20s or uh, mid 20s as, as as the case may be <laughs> anyway so that fellow legend and i were, were, were chatting about this and we realized that we both had this had this shared interest and then we had like a great a great conversation about this and um kind of the, the, the there's a a youtube channel or like um, a movement called real social dynamics i don't know if you've ever heard I've of it heard rsd of this. For yeah, sure. yeah 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 and and they're like spokespeople are like rsd julian and rsd bob and you know yeah, that's yeah, their yeah. like this brings prefix a bell. i can't remember where yeah. this brings a bell. <laughs> <laughs> and they and they make videos and youtube videos and stuff about you know how to get a girl to like you and how to appropriately respond to text messages and you know that that sphere of 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 content Anyway, um, so that's kind of the first piece of context around around this niche joke. All right. The second piece of context around this niche joke is that is within within the, within the medical sphere, uh, you always you always tend to form like a WhatsApp group um, with your team in it, or or you get your like for example, you would get your consultants' phone numbers such that when they're at home on the weekend and on call, you can message them with questions about certain patients. So you'd be like, lady in, you know, bed eighteen. Uh, the CRP is 247. The white cells are 18. Uh, I've discussed with the micro. I think we, we should switch that comoxiclaft to tazacin. The CT has been protocoled. We're All awaiting right, yeah, the yeah. CT All scan, right. blah, blah, blah. So you, the point I'm making is, is you would send them a really, really, really long message. Oh, okay, right. And the response that would come back is, for example, meet in M4 <laughs> in two minutes. Okay. And it, that, that that's just a, a standard pattern. And so... Um, this this other junior doctor and I was 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 I was on my phone and messaging one of our consultants this thing, and he replied with something really 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 short, 
Um, <laughs> and and this friend just commented saying, "That's RSD Rob right there." <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> the 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 amount of context you need to appreciate that joke of this is how the RSD guys tell you to, to respond to texts yeah. with the girls that they send you a long ass pri- like you know, pa- paragraph long message and you reply with two line one liner so. <laughs> Now we we sort of been screenshotting these chats that we've had with the consultants back and forth, being like, "Oh, that's RSD Sujendran, <laughs> that's RSD Hardwick." <laughs> that's amazing. Because that's we, really, yeah, really good. these like forty year old consultants reply, reply with like these short snappy things, um, it, it, and I found that even like when walking from one end of the hospital to another, if, if this even just enters my mind, I, I just start laughing for no reason. And I, I look around to make sure no one can see me laughing. And then I think, oh, hang on, it's not a bad thing if people see me laughing to myself. That's fine. Spreading positivity is a good thing. So that was my funny, funny thing of the week. That's hilarious. It sounds a bit like how at university you'll sort of send an email to a professor or a lecturer or something and you'll send this like long ass email that you've really put a lot of thought into. You've like <laughs> tweaked the wording like five different times and they'll reply with like, okay, sent from my iPhone. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's exactly like that. Wait, just out of curiosity, how did you get to this level with this guy where you're talking about both having watched these <laughs> real social dynamics videos? How long did that take? Uh... Um, it took, it took a couple of weeks. I th- it's it, it started off that you know he was he was he, he, he was sharing something about his um his 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 new girlfriend or something like that. Um, and I just casually you know I was being my vulnerable self and I was like, oh, have you got any tips? Uh, <laughs> and he was like, oh well, actually, uh, you know, there's a few different things that I've 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 heard about. And I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> just sounds very familiar. And then you, you came out to and each then, other. And the, <laughs> exactly, yeah. Then we realized we're a fellow. <laughs> Uh, we we have a shared interest in in RSD. Nice, yeah, that's that's a really good note to end on. <laughs> yes, I'm sure. Right, so <laughs> thanks everyone for uh, listening to this episode. Hope you enjoyed it. Please send us feedback at higherthinking.com. Send us your thoughts, and please do leave us a review on the iTunes Store if you have an iOS device of any description. It really helps. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you next week. That was really frustrating because I I genuinely feel like there's something there, and I feel like okay, I agree it's really hard to define. But I think, okay, and defining it, I, I agree, is important. But do you, you agree that there is this, there's a very particular feeling associated, I think, with truly seeing another person and them truly seeing you, you know? I think there's, I think that is actually something legit. Yeah, no, I think that's definitely something legit. The And I think it's rare. It's You don't see everyone. Like, fine, you might be keeping it real when you're hanging out with your mates in the hospital or whatever. But you're not. You know. But you aren't keeping it real when you're when you're talking to the barista and Costa. I mean, you aren't really expected to keep it real in this. In yeah. this. I mean, like, in a way, what's the point? It's a it's a transactional exchange of <laughs> goods and services. No, 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 I'm not, okay, fine. I'm not. I'm not. You've all got things to do. Like, that you you have to do that. But for example, you said that at the hospital or whatever, like in most of your interactions, you're keeping it real. Yeah. But I'm sure you would agree that there is another level of like keeping it real that feels very different. And that feels like this very special thing that we're talking about, about like truly seeing someone or them truly seeing you, you know, that's, I mean, I think that level of keeping it real. So, so for example, this, I felt like this chat that I was having with this other F1 um, was more in the realm of keeping it real. And it felt like a genuine connection because it's the sort of topic that people wouldn't talk about. Oh, mate. It's like the secret obsessions thing that I wrote a blog post. Yeah. Like, what, yeah. Six weeks ago or something. Yeah. 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 We should Whereas, you know, wh- why did you choose the specialty over another? Yeah. Yeah. You're keeping it real, but you're not showing any vulnerability in revealing that information. 
Yeah. So I think I, th- I think there has to be some element of vulnerability in the keeping it real discussion. Because if, if people aren't showing any vulnerability, they're just going to be subtext signaling. At least that's going to come across. That's how it's going to come across to you. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm going to, I'm going to read this book. I'm going to finish this damn book. I think it's going to have all the answers. And I think when people like, like, for example, when people share their personal anxieties or their personal short thoughts and feelings about things that they find difficult, that is also another realm of keeping it real where people tend to feel that, Oh my God, I feel like we had a connection. I feel like, you know, they were being fully real in this, in that moment. And that again comes, comes back to vulnerability, which is why I mentioned that at the start, because I thought that that was more of a crux on which to hang your theory of authenticity on than whatever it was that you defined it as. No, no, no. Okay, look, I get the vulnerability. Oh, man. Okay, yeah, so look, I agree sure you that, that. Yeah. you can sort of actively try and be vulnerable with people. You can like actively tell them about your insecurities and stuff like that. And yes, you will be keeping it real because you are actually doing those things. But I feel like, I feel like there's, there's two kind of ways of being. One way of being is in which you are truly keeping it real with everyone you interact with. And the other way of being is the way that the rest of us are, where we're not doing that and we're like, you know, and we have to use these hacks and stuff. And I actually don't think the hacks get you over this chasm. The hacks will get you, you know, the hacks will like make you have better interactions and stuff. And I'm all about that. But I don't think the hacks will get you over this chasm. I think think to get over the chasm, there's something deeper and, and profound that has to change within like the way you see the world and the way you see other people. Something, something like that. Do you understand what I'm saying? I understand what you're saying. And, and, and I think there is something there, but then I, th- I think back to my own interactions and I feel like I do, as I said, keep it real the majority of the time. Oh. And so, yeah, I mean, there's a different, there's a different sort of keeping it real too. For example, if you're with your three mates and you're smoking weed at four o'clock in the morning and you've been just chatting for the last six hours, that's like a different sort of keeping it real. And most people would say that those chats are, quote, good because they are more authentic or, or whatever. And you see people's true authentic selves um, when you're chilling late into the night. And when we were at university, we, I, you and I were both fans of these late night chills because like the party or the ball or whatever is, is fine. But it's the post chill yeah. that actually is yeah, where, exactly. the, where the real magic happens because people's barriers are down and they're kind of being more, more being their authentic selves. I don't know. I, th- I think a lot of it is context dependent. Like if you were... If you were at a party that was that, that was very loud, you probably wouldn't be your authentic self to the extent that you would eight hours later in the post chill, where the energy is a little bit low. You're less kind of high energy. You know, you're less trying to share something, a story that makes people laugh, or that you know, perhaps. And and yet, when I've been in those circumstances at parties and been the one trying to, for example, hold court, I wouldn't say that I'm not keeping it real. I'd say that I'm, I'm I'm trying to keep it real, but in a different, more slightly more performative fashion, because that's what the context calls for. Right. And that in the moment is what people appreciate rather than me, for example, like my default tone of voice is, is, is kind of something like this, where I'd be talking at this pitch, mumbling a bit. The people who know me very well would be able to understand what I'm saying. But yet this isn't the sort of volume and, and tone that I'd be talking at if I were trying to keep it real in like a YouTube video or in a podcast or even at a party. It's very much reserved for these post chill circumstances. And so, like, a lot of it is context-dependent. And therefore, my thing is that what does... It all comes back to what does keeping it real actually mean? Yeah, all right, yeah, it does come back to that. Fine. Anyway, right. Cool. See you later.